MindZone Muscle Community, welcome to the Fitness Pro Mentors interview series. If you want to hear some amazing interviews from amazing fitness professionals all over the world, please join our Fitness Pro Mentors private Facebook group. But today, let's make it rain. Fitness Pro Mentors, welcome to another live interview series. We are doing the Exercise Titan interviews, and I'm super excited to have round two with my good friend and someone that I really look up to and am inspired by, Mr. Charlie McMillan. Charlie, how you doing, man? Well, not very Titanish today, but I'm doing fine. No, of course I'm doing well, and I hope you're doing well as well. I am well as well. As well. That was a very polite Canadian thing where we had like the well, 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 I like it. Yeah, man, no, it's, everything's good here, and I'm really excited because, honestly, we're down in your cave. Uh, last time we spoke, we spoke about a bunch of different things in your world and learned a lot about your origin story and your history with the Wizards and a lot of other things that you're working on. And, you know, we didn't get to talk about one thing about you that's, I think, huge, which is this basement of yours, which has the coolest home collection of exercise equipment that I've ever seen. So if you don't mind me just jumping right into it, what inspired this crazy basement of machines to end up to where it is now? Well, this is an easy one. Uh, you gave me a softball on this. Um, we talked a little bit about this in the first interview, uh, or whatever you want to call the, uh, the, the first thing that I was kind of talking about some bio stuff. And, and back in the day, I can't believe I actually say that now, um, I was working at a gym, and we had talked about how one of the things that I was playing around with um, with myself and clients were these long duration types of, of phases of a repetition. And oftentimes people would come up, for instance, when we were uh, I was challenging a client on something like the seated ab adduction machine or the adduction machine, the Cybex um, VR series one, I think it was VR series. And uh, a member from the gym would come up and say, are you going to be, are you using that? Are you still on that? And what they wouldn't realize was because the client was moving at such a slow rate of speed um, that the weight stack was actually still elevated, right? The client was still loaded on the machine. They were just moving at a creeping pace. And so um, that got a little frustrating after a while, uh, which was frustrating to the members because they thought I was just sitting around, you know, hanging out, not talking to each other, which would have been a weird thing to do begin to begin with. But uh, and also frustrating for me because, you know, here I am having to kind of constantly offset the the, the members. Um, I was also doing this thing, muscle activation techniques back then. And um, I was a big proponent of always trying to follow up um, test when I could test when I thought I was actually testing muscles. Of course, we're not testing muscles. Um, but when I, you know, when I thought I was testing position of emphasis or whatever nonsense uh, we can call it, um, I, I tried to do it with machinery. I tried to do it without my hands. And, and this goes back to um, a, a, a lovely woman that I dated for a while back in uh, 2006, uh, 2007, named Erin Andriola, and Erin um, Dace now. And she, um, she was in Texas, and there was this concern about, this is back in 06, right? There was this concern that Texas was going to make a law that you couldn't put your hands on people anymore. And so together, we worked pretty hard in trying to figure out ways, at least for her gym, she was at a, a Larry North facility down in Dallas, um, at least for her gym, how to test everything through machines. In other words, not, not putting your hands on people, and then how to do the follow-up isometrics um, 
with with uh, machinery and everything else. And anybody that's taken the jumpstart classes that I taught for 10 years uh, probably remembers doing a bit of this. And so when I needed to have access to a piece of equipment, I needed access to the piece of equipment, you know, and if I went back and, you know, somebody was on it and waiting around and it just it just didn't make for the uh, optimal client training experience. And so I started kind of piecemealing together pieces of equipment, a little bit of what I wanted for my own training experience, and then uh, a little bit of what I thought might be optimal for training the client. And actually, I started off back in the day, uh, you probably know this, but back in the day, I worked a little bit for um, QVC. I was actually working for Bowflex on QVC with Tom. One of the wonderful opportunities that Tom Purvis gave me was to um, be a spokesperson for QVC or for Bowflex on QVC. And um, I had acquired a Bowflex back then, and it was sitting in the very gym that I'm talking about. So my first piece of equipment that I brought into this house was that Bowflex. And I still have it. It's actually right behind the camera, so I'm not going to um, bore anybody with turning the camera around. But and I still use it pretty much uh, on a consistent basis with many people at various times during their training. So once I got that first Bowflex and um, maybe one other piece of equipment, uh, clients started every once in a while. I would do a session here, and clients seemed to enjoy it. They liked being outside of the gym. I'm a messy person, but I'm very clean. Uh, if that makes any sense whatsoever, totally stuff might be lying around, but I'm constantly – I mean, long before COVID, I was constantly cleaning every possible thing you could touch or – uh, whatever. And so they appreciated that. They knew that they were getting on something that had been, you know, <laughs> sterilized. And um, it from there, it just went, well, well goodness, you know, uh, why don't we just keep trying to acquire things? And it also allowed me to extend my own experimentation with, you know, what I was doing for myself. Um, you know, if I wanted to try and do something like a 10 minute concentric and a 10 minute eccentric or something like that, it would, uh, it, kind of lend itself obviously better than that. I'm not going to be doing 20 minutes of a single rep on a prone leg curl in a gym. Right. So anyway, that's how it started. Um, as for kind of today's conversation as a lead in, um, one of the topics of my dissertation for my PhD is actually a kind of a um, comparison between a qualitative and a quantitative analysis of uh, different types of machines. The two machines that I'm looking at are leg extensions, which have been looked at before um, in terms of the resistance offerings that they have, and a seated row. And um, the reason that I kind of started going down this road was because I have a fair number of clients that have what we might call significant orthopedic constraints that I have to work within and around and, and et cetera. And, um, I have, you know, one client that's got, I don't know, she's got 16, uh, screws in her tibia and still a fractured fibula. Um, so, you know, this, and this is from an injury, you know, that, that occurred in 1980, I think. So, you know, it was a 30 year old injury. And I have another client that had a padelectomy. If, Anybody here is familiar that back in the day was the answer to chondromalacia. If it was at a high enough grade, they just removed the patella. Um, oh. The unfortunate thing is almost everybody that's watching your podcast is probably going to understand that if you take a patella out, you completely lose the moment for the quads. 
because you've lost the leverage side of the equation. Yeah. And so for her to get on a piece of equipment, I really, really, really fancied um, plate-loaded equipment. When I, I started gathering equipment, there were two reasons for that. And one was they were cheaper generally than selectorized pin-loaded stack machines. The other reason is I love the idea of not having any friction or just the friction that was associated with each lever system and the, the small amount relative to what was going on in terms of the bearings or whatever they were using. And so plate-loaded machines give that feeling of a whole lot less friction, which is kind of cool because yeah. anybody that, again, most of the people that are watching your, uh, your show here are going to know that friction is probably going to make it a little bit more resistance on the concentric or the lifting stroke and a little bit less resistance on the lowering stroke. And um, by the way, for anybody that, that is interested, I have kind of abandoned the eccentric concentric for the obvious reasons that, again, many of your viewers will already know, um, but it's just a little bit easier. So when you hear me say lifting stroke, obviously on a leg extension, it would be the concentric uh, for the active um, resistance fighting muscles and then the lowering stroke obviously the eccentric for the resistance uh fighting muscles but this is one of the few machines that you know that would be a consideration to you know we can you know probably uh, accurately say eccentric and concentric um but with this particular machine um what happened was i would get my mom or one of these other two clients or somebody else on a piece of equipment like this and having done a qualitative analysis, which if anybody here has been through RTS, that's kind of what we were doing. We were doing a qualitative uh, mechanical analysis of, you know, a machine when we started off looking at the weight and then following the weight around, you know, via cable through pulleys and then checking out what it may have done on an eccentric cam or, again, another reason why I don't like the term eccentric because the actual name for a cam is an eccentric cam um, and it gets confusing. But in any case, or if we're looking at lever systems, um, you know, when we do a qualitative analysis on this particular machine, what you're supposed to have is you're supposed to have a drop off. OK, well, most uh, people are familiar with machines and understand that that's probably what, you know, the design of the machine was kind of intended to do was that when you lift this, when I go through the lifting stroke, there should be, and I'm going to call it the machine resistance curve, but the machine resistance curve should be descending. Um, back in the day with Arthur Jones, there were some challenges to what Arthur Jones was saying in terms of things like a leg extension where he was trying to match the um, machine resistance curve to the uh, human torque curve. And so a bunch of people did some research on that and kind of showed, you know, okay, well, let's just say that the, the the peak of the human torque curve for most people is, is around halfway through the traditional lifting stroke on a leg extension. I know that that varies. That's why I'm saying traditional lifting stroke. Um, it could be, you know, 110 to 130 to 90 degrees, whatever we're talking about. But let's just say somewhere within the middle of the range, that's typically where people can generate peak torque output, both dynamically and statically. And so they were trying to match that. Now, you know, some of those early studies that were kind of challenging uh, Arthur Jones's uh, claims found that it, it didn't really do that. Um, and in most cases, actually, it was very similar where you would see that you would get the machine resistance curve 
ascending, what I'm going to call ascending, and I'm only going to reference really the lifting stroke side of this when I'm talking about the machine resistance curve. So when they tested the machines, they would see, okay, as the person lifts or extends their knees, what's happening is you're getting an ascending machine resistance curve. And that's obviously not going to match the human torque curve if the peak for the dynamic torque curve is in the middle of this range. And so unsurprisingly, other, you know, machine companies tried to match it and some of them did okay you guys can look up the research on this um i will say that as far as machine resistance curves go there have been very limited studies looking at these things they're almost all single um call them single joint studies for the machine single joint machine studies they were looking at leg extensions they were looking at leg curls they were not looking at seated rows they were not looking at compound movements um obviously when you start talking about human torque curves it gets nearly impossible to, to try to kind of when you've got multiple joints you know being challenged within an exercise it gets controlling across people and everything else is going to be very very difficult so um so they didn't even bother to look at those machines so that's thus the reason that I'm doing the seated row because nobody's really looked at any of this stuff. But as far as the leg extension, this particular leg extension, and doing the qualitative analysis, I went through and of course, you know, we know how to analyze these things. We look where the axis is. We look at the moment arm for resistance. We look at the moment arm for effort. We then go to the next axis, look at the moment arm for resistance, look at the moment arm for effort. And in both scenarios, there's a descending moment arm, right? It's actually an increasing moment arm for effort at one. I'm not going to get into that here. But in any case, you're supposed to have a drop off as you go through the lifting stroke on this machine. It's how they design the machine. Okay. The problem is, as we all probably know, the input arm has weight to it. And so the moment arm for the input arm is actually increasing through the lifting stroke. Well, below a certain weight, added weight, external load to this machine, weight plates, from 25 pounds and lower, it actually is ascending and then flat. If we looked at the machine resistance curve, right, and I actually measure it, you know, with a dynamometer and go through, if let's just say we took three points within the range, what we would get is the resistance would be increasing relative to the machine till about halfway or a little bit further than halfway through the range and then it kind of flattens out and stays the same through the rest of the range well you can imagine if you have somebody that has a is is challenged in terms of their ability to extend their knee as they get halfway through this range if they can't go through here for instance my mom if she uses this the way that's traditionally set up and she we would use it with no added weight um she recently broke her uh tibia in a fall during COVID during the lockdowns and so she can't get it past about 40 degrees, 40 degrees of motion, okay, not 40 degrees of the actual joint. So from about here to here, that's as far as she can take it because the resistance is increasing. And so um, one of the things that, that, that bothered me about that is, okay, well, and, and this goes into the dissertation, right? I work with a lot of people with chronic disease, whether it be cancer or whether it be Lyme disease. Um, and there are going to be certain situations where the last thing in the world that we want to do is have non-intentional failure within a rep of an exercise, okay? And so you can already see it right now, right? If I let this thing go, right, it is not bounced. So a lot of these 
plate-loaded leverage machines, so to speak, if we call them lever system um, types of machines, a lot of them I haven't very seen, I don't think I've seen any of them that have a counterbalance, right? And on a lot of the um, stack machines, they would put a counterbalance on it, but they didn't put a counterbalance on a lot of these plate-loaded machines. Maybe that's one of the ways to cut corners and saving money. But the problem with that is that you don't really get the benefit of the design of the machine until you get to a certain weight. And that weight on this machine happens to be 40 pounds. So it's only until I put 40 pounds of external load on here that I actually get a descending curve in terms of the machine, in terms of what the machine has to offer. Okay, don't get this confused about humans right now because I'm not talking about them. I'm just talking about what the machine has to offer. And so thankfully I was doing this all sorts of different ways. I was strapping, you know, a piece of uh, one by three on it or two by three on it. And uh, just recently I bought myself a drill press because I was drive it was driving me crazy to get the that I couldn't get this down right uh, the way that I wanted to. All the modifications that I do on my equipment to try to enhance participation for clients and I don't want my mom or any of my other clients to run into a situation where they can't actually use the machine. Um, but I don't ever want anything to be permanent. So I don't want to weld anything. Um, and, and rarely do I want to bolt something um, unless it's with like a, um, a wing nut holding it together where I can quickly release it and move it and do whatever I need to do with it. So most of my modifications are easily changeable and removable. And so this is my solution, at least for my mom. And what this is, is um, I've effectively created my own counterbalance. And you can see that I'm just going to stick 50 pounds, believe it or not, 50 pounds of weight over here. I didn't want to make it too long because I'm limited in the amount of room that I have. But you can see how now with 50 pounds, it, it is at balance, certainly in that bottom position. And as it comes up, okay, even though I've got this thing set on four, but if, if it's on a shorter uh, input arm uh, position, basically this weight, you'll see it counterbalance about halfway through the range, okay? And you can see what's happening is if you see where my hand is, that moment arm is increasing as this comes down and somebody moves through that range. And so what's happening is it allows for weights less than an added 40 pounds so when we get down to zero or five or ten or 15 pounds it allows somebody to actually go through the range of motion because it drops off as they continue extending their knee so solutions to to problems that i run into due to the populations that i work with now the other thing that's really cool about this is that if i come around and put 135 pounds on here I still get the benefit of that, depending upon how much I put here. Obviously, I want this to be very, have allowance for variability, so I can put whatever I want on here to change the shape of that curve. Now, sometimes I'm changing the shape of the curve with, you know, not my hands, and sometimes I'm doing it with my hands. But um, a lot of what I do in terms of being a trainer is manipulating the machine resistance curve. Um, so that what the user is experiencing is whatever I want them to experience on that given day. When I say that, I mean, of course, I can't control what they experience. I can heavily influence it, at least on the resistance side of the equation. So one 
particular solution to that. Another thing you're going to see on here is that I have this daisy chain. I'm a big fan of barriers. And I like barriers for several reasons. The first is it provides a target and a range limiting device if I want that. So a target, because no matter what I set this on, okay, it's got little loops in it, you'll see. This is a Metolius daisy chain. I think they call it something else. I think they call it an anchor chain. Um, and you can find these, obviously, on Amazon or you know REI or whatever. And I've got it, obviously, attached, anchored to the bottom of the machine frame. And then if I hook it around the input arm, it creates a barrier at a certain point. And so that gives somebody a target for the range. Now, I can change that, right? I can shorten it so to speak so that it happens at an earlier point and you know anything to shape the experience because all these things end up being different manifestations of an exercise experience for somebody um the targeting obviously is kind of important and the really cool thing about a barrier is if we took a, a rep in four phases I'm not saying you have to do it this way but if you take it in a rep like tom always tom purvis always talked about the four-step rep and we look at those four phases individually at the end of the lifting stroke we have an isometric now how long you decide that you want to spend in the isometric is relative so if i want to take for instance for the research that i'm doing with um you know did with the lyme patients and now doing with uh the cancer patients it's a five second lifting stroke a one second isometric hold a five second lowering stroke and then they're reporting to me their effort, their projected effort of the next rep based on their experience in the last, last rep. Um, so it's another isometric where they're unloaded. But in this loaded isometric, you have a choice always. Do you want the person to continue pushing so that they do kind of like a ramping isometric in this position? Barriers are really cool because when I get to the end of the barrier, I can continue to push this has this daisy chain has some give up to a certain force but you've got some so it's not truly isometric but you've got some um ability to kind of play with the isometric at the end of the dynamic or at the end of the lifting stroke which is kind of cool, Very cool yeah. and so i'm a big fan of barriers doesn't mean you have to use them um but it's a nice way to both control range give a target manipulate range and um play around with uh the intensity of the, the the isometric phase at the end of the lifting stroke for instance and they can be in other places too but that that kind of works out pretty well so that's my plate loaded leg extension and the story as the story goes i, I wanted you know this started off as okay i want this because i really like the feeling of the plate loaded leg extension machine but man there's some drawbacks to it um and the drawbacks are at lower weights, the machine resistance curve is not what you might think it is. And you wouldn't necessarily know it until you had somebody get on it and they couldn't lift the weight. Or, you know, you put a dynamometer or a force gauge or, you know, scale on there and you measure it and you go, well, that's not supposed to happen, I don't think. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, do, are the Cybex engineers smart enough to have figured this out and knew that below a certain threshold in terms of added weight? that it would be um, harder to lift it than what this, yeah, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. You know, they're trying to make it for everybody They're you know, but that goes to the point of, if you know how to manipulate these things, it's to your benefit. So um, no matter who the patient or the client or the 
participant or whatever population you're working with is, um, you know, you can shape the experience. So that's the uh, leg extension. And that took longer than I thought it was going to. That's all right. Honestly, I mean, there's so many things you said in there that I think are great to unpack. And honestly, when you were here and you did the presentation for Strata and we spoke about, you spoke about that, that the actual weight of the input arm was a variable. I'm embarrassed to say that I hadn't considered it at that time and hooking up the crane scale, finding that, for example, the Nautilus leg extension, it wasn't until you crossed the 50 pound barrier that you really got the intended net effect of the cam. Uh, it really was that that huge pad and the giant pieces of iron that they used to design it was a huge factor. And it made so much sense. I mean, it's got a great design, in my opinion, but it's so heavy that we're working with sensitive populations as well. And if I've got a 70-year-old with a knee replacement, we're trying to get the terminal knee extension for whatever adaptation we're going for. And we're wondering why it's hurting when she gets to the end. Well, I mean, there's clear evidence there. So brilliant for you to make those adaptations so you have a diverse range that you can put force into. And that really was the thing is I, I've shifted my focus over the years. I think we talked about this briefly uh, in the last um, in the last video. And that is that I, I really am much more interested in I was always interested in helping the general population. And and, you know, that's good. But but I've always been really interested in trying to to get people that have either been told that they can't participate in exercise because it's just too much or, or it doesn't suit their particular condition um, or people that haven't been able to exercise and have shied away from things like resistance training. My, my real interest is getting them to see that that's just not true. And, and it, in all, you know, the irony of it is machines are actually the only way to allow that to happen. Uh, you know, you're not going to be able to manipulate um, the resistance um, curve, at least as far as the, the weight goes, if you're using a free weight without changing their geocentric body position in most cases. Right. And so, although you can do that, you know, not everybody, it's not everybody good for everybody to be bent over for something just to, you know, change the, the shape of the resistance curve when they're doing a curl. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. um, you know, it's one of those conversations we always had, which was some people think that machines are limiting, quite the opposite as far as I'm concerned. They allow much more um, freedom than a free weight does for many reasons. But in any case, machine number two. Hold on. All Before right. you jump so into this, this well, I got to say one yes. thing. Your, uh, yeah, one of your uh, good friends, Mr. Kevin Dunn, says, my brother just doesn't like daylight. So he's teasing you with your lighting down there. So just wanted to let you know that before we go much deeper. <laughs> yeah, well, he can tease away. I'm surprised that uh, Kevin, you know, as busy as he is, I'm surprised that he has a moment to look at a video. You I know mean, what? He you hasn't know. answered a phone call for me in the last month, but he's commenting on these videos. There. So that's good to know. <laughs> there you go. There you right, go. Man. So what you got? <laughs> All right. So here's a Body Masters. I want to say circa 1988. I'm not totally sure. That plate loaded leg extension, when I bought it in like 10 or 11, that thing was brand new. This one, eh, 88, 89, maybe 90, um, and hard to find. Now, Tom's criticism of the Body Masters, and he's a valid criticism, was that they didn't use a production line that had any kind of automaticity to it or whatever you call it. So they were handmade. So every piece of body masters equipment that you would get 
was different, <laughs> had a different feel to it. And I know what he's talking about. Um, and so the, the, I didn't get it. I, it's a hesitancy in buying this, um, because of that, but there are just too many good things about it that I'm willing to sacrifice the fact that it's going to feel weirder than the one that I used at a gym in the mid eighties. Okay. Yeah. And, um, the cool thing about this piece of equipment, prone, I, I like the angle in it, okay, which is, okay, so I like this hip angle. It's a nice um, lower hip angle than the Cybex one. Anybody who's been on that Cybex one, it's it's crazy. Plus, you know, like you're getting to the point where your head is below your hips at some point, which I don't really love either, um, bending over that thing. Um, but one of the cool things about this Body Masters, remember I said that I love barriers. Well, this actually has a barrier. It has a start, a, a stop and start adjustment on it. And that is a cool thing because I don't have to worry about, you know, trying to strap up some sort of daisy chain or something else to stop it. Now, what you'll see on a lot of the equipment that I have is, and, and Brandon has some of these, hopefully he's found some use for them, is, oh, yeah. but these are couplers for PVC. And what they're really good at doing is, you know, obviously guide rods are made to try to be as frictionless as possible. And so having anything on the guide rods to create a barrier, you have to get something that's going to be pretty sticky on there. And rubber does okay on stainless steel. Um, and so these work really well. So in the case that I want a very specific, precise point, I'll probably drop these down and they'll stop the weight stack, obviously, from traveling upward. But when I'm not really worried about being that specific, I just use the one that's built on the machine, which is really great. And so that's a pretty cool thing about this. The other cool thing about this is I can access the access to the, I can uh, uh, access the axis. Okay. So I can access the axis of the machine pretty easily and the reason why that's cool is because that allows me to do all sorts of fun stuff like and this is probably going to look to some people like the old nautilus glute which is now i installed these um seat belts so they did not obviously come in it but this allows me for instance now i have i can take the belt and i can flip it around the other side of the cam so and it's long enough so you don't have to worry about that i've replaced this belt so that i can either put it so that it's set up for the chrome <laughs> leg curl or i can put it so it's set up for this glute some of you guys who saw my old facebook videos saw saw me doing that but i can do my glute isometrics here i can do my glute um you know i could do just bridging here or i could flip the belt on the other side of the cam and then that would allow me to actually do the motion stuff right now it's set up for the prone leg curl so not going to show you that, but that's cool because I can access the axis on this. The other thing that's cool about accessing the axis on this is <laughs> if I put a stool right here and I take my pads and actually I'm going to get a little bit. Well, I usually use a little higher pad. I'm not going to walk out of the frame for too long. So um, if I sit here, all right, and I put this on a weight that's not too heavy i can see it right now i've got a shadow on it okay so clearly if i put the range limiter on here i can do my isometrics by pulling up into the pad into the range limiter so i can do hip flexion isometrics or 
if I take the range limiter off, I can move into dynamic stuff, right? How many people really challenge hip flexion if they don't have a four-way hip, right? Um, Sean True, I know you do, so I, I got that. We got um, one too. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so, and lastly, at least on this piece of equipment, if I do want to shape the machine resistance curve, I've got a little adapter here, okay? So, and there's, what I've done is I've run the soft side of Velcro through the channel. It doesn't do anything to affect the belt running through here. And again, I like, I know Tom's made some really cool stuff where he's bolted like these cam adapters to the machines in his old gym. I don't think he's at focus anymore, but, um, but like, I want something that I can just pull off if I need to. Okay. So, you know, piece of wood, you know, and a bandsaw or whatever, and you can make something pretty cool here. And so what you can see is, I don't know how closely you can see this, but if we look at this, this is about an eight inch moment arm to start. As it moves through here, it goes up a little bit. So about halfway through the range, gets a little bit harder and it goes up to about 10 inches and then it starts to drop off, but it is not a very big drop off, okay? Well, if I wanted to, I could change the shape of that so that the starting position, or as I start to do this, I start off with the largest moment arm. So it starts off at about 11 inches. And then as I move through the range, you have a pretty severe drop off, right? So if we start here and then move through this. I don't know whether you guys can see that. Brandon, can you oh, see yeah. that at absolutely, all? Absolutely, absolutely. This yep. thing actually coming close. Okay, sorry. And it's black and there's some black behind it's you. Perfect, so. it's perfect. Um, and so these kind of cam adapters work pretty well for playing around with that kind of stuff. Um, and I've done it on a couple other pieces. Like, kind of an interesting way to do some of this stuff. It, it's, it's a lot of the stuff that I buy is, how many things can I use that for, right? Um, and so it's, it's, it's cool. If we go back to the leg extension, I want to show you one other thing that's pretty cool to do on this. So... Keep forgetting this is the opposite direction. <laughs> All right. And if anybody is so what I'm listening is to I'm... this in the future, really quickly, Charlie, sorry, if anyone's listening to this on the podcast, Spotify, you're going to want to go to the Fitness Pro Mentors Facebook group and actually watch the live stream because Charlie's walking through his basement, going through each one of these machines, explaining things. You're going to want the visuals to so go to Fitness Pro Mentors Facebook group and check it out. But uh, Charlie, pardon me. Let's see what you got. Oh, you're fine. Okay, so this is actually from... One of these real cheap, uh, I don't even remember what the name of the company is, but it's from a leg extension, leg curl um, that I have. It's one of those plate loaded, real cheapy ones with the sundial. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but I yanked that off of that piece of equipment and it fits nicely, okay, straight in where the back pad for the leg extension is. So I just slide that back and it creates a stop point that I can lie around. And then. What I'm going to do, I've just got a little bolt here that I stick in the hole that's now facing up of this thing. And so if you were concerned or if you wanted kind of the longer side of the length of the rectus fem um, to be challenged, a lot of people have talked about, oh, I didn't even think about doing that. Now you can kind of get that longer side of the rectus fem. You know, this is about my end range in terms of knee flexion from this position by changing that hip position. Okay. 
That's cool perfect. thing is we can also flip that around. So this is the seat. This is the normal seat back. I'm just going to spin it around where it doesn't have holes. So now it's facing forward, so to speak. <laughs> and what I'm going to do, and so now we're talking about that extreme relative to, and that's about as far as I can get in that position. Okay, so if I wanted to kind of go with the relative shortened side of the length of the Rexham, I can kind of get into this significantly hip flexed position with the influence of the back pad back here. That's about all the knee extension I can get without busting a gut. And that kind of gives you a sense of just every piece of equipment I, I buy, I kind of look at and think, how much manipulation is there av available to the machine itself? Yeah. And so stuff like that's kind of fun to do. So Charlie, quick um, question on and that. Gives, go ahead. Well, I was yes. going to ask you, I mean, with all these machines, you're taking one idea, like perfectly that like extension, you work on the shortened end, the mid end, the length, and you got all these great ideas for it. When you're deciding for a personal training program, like really simplifying this, you're creating this for a client. How often are you thinking about this, that I'm doing this for this specific adaptation or to take these specific joints out of the equation or for variation's sake? After a period of time. And what I mean by that is I will typically have, I, I still think like, I was never big enough to be a bodybuilder and I was never strong enough to be a power lifter. Um, I had a spondylolisthesis that was diagnosed when I was 14 and they told me, you know, you've got to, if you keep playing lacrosse, which was the sport that I played, you know, you've got a, you've got a percent, low percentage of, of, you know, getting hit and then becoming paralyzed because of the way that this thing is sitting, um, L5. And so, back that's actually how i started exercising was the athletic trainer of my high school uh lori haleski um i think her name um is lori bristow um her name is lori bristow now and i always will thank her because she thought you know listen i think you can strengthen this i think that will help and so that kind of sent me down the road back in high school um and the, the so a lot of the ideas of this comes from you know where i started which was a, a regional type of approach to training and I have no problem saying that I really like that. It might sound to some people like, well, that sounds too bodybuilders or whatever. But I do think still in regions, unless I have a really good reason not to. I told you before that I'm a little bit unusual as a trainer because most of my clients will come in five to seven days a week. Well, when you work that much with somebody, having kind of a, a gross schematic in terms of like a regional approach, i.e., lower legs and feet, um, maybe moving up to, you know, knee stuff, you know, quads and hamstrings is called that for right now. Then moving up to like hippish stuff, maybe combining hip and trunk, um, then moving up to like anterior shoulder ish stuff, posterior shoulder ish stuff. Um, and then a true kind of shoulder ish day and then finishing it off with arms gives a nice kind of day by day approach. And then, of course, uh, you know, I know that a lot of people might be anti-aerobic. I'm not. Um, and and so I may it gives me the ability to make sure that some aerobic activity gets in there virtually every day with most people. Yeah. Um, so I combine them and it's easy to do when you do things regionally. So if I'm doing that for a period of time and let's just say that I have um, I have a little bit of leeway with clients because 
I'm not going for a specific thing. The goal is to make them enjoy the exercise experience, which gives me the opportunity to challenge a whole bunch of different stuff for no other reason than, hey, we haven't really challenged this short-ish side of this length relationship of the rectus femoris in a year or two years or whatever, at least not in this specific way. So let's do that now. Now, it, doesn't, it sounds a little haphazard, but the reality of it is it ends up being like if we were talking about a year-long type of approach to training somebody, I'm going to try to get as many opportunities in to create challenges through ranges that the joint has available through as many planes as I can think of, depending upon the joint, of course, um, you know, in a given year. And so it might be, let's just say, for this two-month period, we're going to do a leg extension, you know, where we're just doing it traditionally, so to speak. And then maybe for the next two week or next two month period, we're going to be doing it on this shortened side of things. Why? Because you weren't doing it there before. So a lot of things are what haven't you been doing and let's progress you appropriately and wisely and start doing that. But now remember the minute you move away from something, to something you hadn't been doing before, you're now not doing the thing you were before. But that's okay, because that gives us the opportunity to go back to it, maybe in another four months versus two months, but whatever. Um, there's so many conditions on training that we hear about that I believe in my heart of hearts, I never thought I'd use that phrase in a thing <laughs> like this, but, but I truly believe that 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 participating within a moderate level of exercise, low to moderate level of exercise, resistance training or otherwise, is the way to go with perhaps having times where you might exceed that, perhaps. But a lot of the rules that we have, don't train, don't train the body, same body part two days in a row. Well, why not? How are you training that body part in the first place? Are you training that body part to the point where, you know, you need to actually take a day off? And we talked about this a little bit with the Arthur Jones stuff, right? Or are you training in a way, like, what are you doing the exercise for? I mean, it comes down to the old, you know, resistance training specialist, Tom Purvis. What is the goal of the exercise? Why are you doing this? Because your goal for the exercise with a client might not necessarily be the type of thing where you need to take a day off right so the study that i'm doing now um it's every day if it need be so there are certain times because of the treatment that's going on for their cancer that i might have to do back-to-back -back days well if that's the thing if that's the constraint then i have to know how to load somebody and 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 guide the exercise experience so they and they can do that i can't say no you can't train two days a week because their radiation schedule might not fall into that. Right. So I got to match it up with a rate. Like the point being is that, 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 that I, I believe you can rationally support most of the things that you do. And, and most of the, it, it's again, it, this, you know, RTS keeps coming up and over and over again. But when we used to talk about, um, you might have to temporarily regress in one aspect in order to progress in something else or whatever else. But that, but if you if you remember teaching that stuff, it was constantly thinking about 
what are all the variables that can be manipulated because we might actually be inappropriately or appropriately progressing two at once and we didn't even realize it or, or whatever it is. But when you start thinking about all those manipulable variables that are involved in the exercise experience, when you start talking about a low to moderate level of intensity, there is so much room to play and have fun and generate experiences and never leave a client so that they think, man, I got to take some time off. Like I feel ugh. and never think to yourself, well, wait a second. Chest is shoulders um, in most cases. You know, middle delts is shoulders in most cases. Posterior delts, or, or, so chest is shoulders, shoulders is shoulders, and back is shoulders. Well, you can't do that because then it's shoulders, shoulders, and shoulders. And it's like, well, wait a second, how are you doing it? Maybe you can. And so most of the people that made the rules weren't even thinking that way. They weren't thinking, like they said, you had to take a day off between body parts, but you might see shoulders next to chest. And it's like, well, you just did two days. So what happened to our taking the day off? Yeah, anyway, yeah. I hope that – I don't know whether that addresses your question, but really what it comes down to is um, the thing that guides the experience more than anything and the choices that I make is I have a, a, a guide that I have in my mind. Here's what we're going to do today. Okay? It might be written down somewhere. It might not be written down somewhere. But here's what I know we're going to do today. Then they walk into – the, the door over here and I say how do you feel and I say man I, I woke up and have a little bit of stiff neck and sorry I keep fading out the, the iPad camera is like way over here sorry so um, so I woke up with a crick in my neck okay well you know what we were supposed to do shoulders today but you know what or we're supposed to do back today I'm going to make sure that maybe we're all parallel arcs today we're not doing anything kind of up near this horizontal plane. We don't have any kind of downward and anteriorly directed forces that we're resisting, that we're fighting against. And so that we don't have a lot of, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to try to stay. So that's the, so here's the idea we're doing back. Okay. How do you feel today? Oh, okay. Well, you know, you got a crick in your neck. So we're going to shift what I had in mind and do some things altered in order to accommodate that does that make sense 100 percent. i mean i think that that's what I'm, I'm loving about what you're sharing so much but what i think everyone has to understand is that with the magnitude of information you have you come up with all these options but ultimately it gives you the freedom to be creative to give people experiences or the desired adaptations and or to pivot based off on how they are that day and so as much as it seems like a machine might have a lot of complicated things set up is it gives you a ton of freedom to do whatever you need to slash and or want to do. You know, enormous, enormous. And the obvious example, right? Are you going to do a bent over row with somebody that, you know, is experiencing some sort of thing, but they might be able to actually do a seated row with a chest pad in front of their body. That machine offers the ability to participate even still. And that's the, that's the, that's the thing that why I want to do. Okay, you were just vomiting before you came in here because the antibiotics are way too much for you. That your body is just pissed and like, okay, we gotta, we've got to be able to still train you. We st we still want you because there's too much good stuff emotionally, physically that you get from exercise. I don't care about you know you know your, the length of your golf ball today. That's not the important thing or whatever you know. 
Um, it's a lot of people Lyme disease or golfers or whatever. Some people <laughs> that, that have it cause, cause they're chasing their ball or they're going to the a little bit longer grass, but, um, we're not focused on that. We're focused on what w- what you can do. And ironically against the whole thing that I taught in MAT for 12 years, we want to know what you can't do. I'm going to say that that I threw out in 2010, maybe even earlier than that. My goal is I want to work within what you can do. And the fact that I never even thought of the huge contradiction between RTS and MAT when it came to this notion, we always taught this range of motion resetting thing. And we always, and, and, and one of the things that we taught in this whole stretching conversation was you can't go beyond your limit. You're always still under your limit. But yet some people's flexibility is still enhanced, even though they're doing their stretching, of course, under their limit. So then the question becomes, right, like this notion of going through the limit doesn't make any sense. Why? Because we're still doing stuff within your range, not outside of it, and you're getting more. We don't need to know what you can't do. We need to know what you can do and participate in all the opportunities that you have within what you can do. And you know what happens? The range of what you can do gets bigger, not because of focusing on what you can't do. The whole premise of that was about fa- the whole premise of MAT was setting people up for failure. Let me see where you're weak, where you're weak, what you can't do. See, you can't do this. Oh, you're weak here. I mean, from an emotional standpoint, that sucks. But from a physical standpoint, why? Why? Well, we want you to be, you know, what you can't do. We want to be able to get to what you can do. How about we stay within what you can do? And work with that today. And we don't waste any time going down roads trying to so-called correct something that you can't do. You can already do this, so let's work within that. And what I bet you'll see if you take that approach and mindset is you'll see those opportunities get bigger. You'll see the range of motion improve. You'll see the strength improve. Because you can't do you're not you're not going outside of what you can do anyway. Right. <laughs> anyway, there's an aside, right? So with all of that, though, we prefaced, you prefaced this whole conversation that the machine basement endeavor started with that introduction of that in Texas, it might be possible that you might not be able to put your hands on people and you had to figure out how to use different implements to potentially do some form of work like that. Um, do you mind expanding on how that original thought process evolved all the way to where we are now? You're talking about like with the testing stuff? Yeah. You mentioned or, that at the very beginning, yeah, that that was kind of like the original concern uh, that kind of prompted okay. all the exploration. So in a lot of cases, well, this, I mean, it was, it was purpose that prompted the original exploration. I mean, that's not, um, I don't want to, I don't want to undermine or undo how influential that was. And, you know, that is where it came from. But here we go. I'll talk about it with this. So here we have. All right. Now, what you'll notice is this is a um, this is a seated trunk rotation. Okay, but if I kind of point this down, you might see that. Let's see. All right. You see how I've got it elevated? Oh yeah. Okay. So I've got some risers here. So it's not it's elevated nine inches off the ground. Okay. And so what that nine inches allows for is if I come over here. First of all, remember, I told you I love barriers. So if we look up here, you see these straps up here. These are just yoga straps that are hooked into the frame. So I can't move this right now. Um, And then I've also got the couplers over there if I actually need to use those for whatever. But 
want you to watch and I want you to tell me. Remember, there was a holy grail in one of the processes that we were taught. Um, if you remember this whole lower TVA thing, okay, which was this, it was called pelvic approximation, pelvic approximation at one point. Beardall calls it the lower transverse abdominal, the lower TVA. So um, for anybody that cares. Um, in any case, if I take this out, so I'm taking the seat out. Okay, let me get this back a little further. All right, and then what I'm going to do, hopefully that's good. I might, yeah, that's good. All right, I'm going to take my leg. I'm going to put it up on this pad. My other leg is down on the ground. Nice. I know I can't be really in the frame, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn to the left. Now, I'm just doing isometrics right now. Can you see how this is basically that position? Now, if I wanted to get more into the range, so to speak, what I would do is loosen this a little bit, like if I actually wanted to do it from a rotated position. So I'm going to just pull this a little bit and unhook this. All right. And then I'll loosen this a little bit. It doesn't have to be much. All right. So now I'm rotated to the left, the same side that my leg is, so to speak, up on. Okay. And now I'm doing my lower TBA isometric. That's right. Awesome. So and and how do I test this with somebody? Well, if I, I don't, I don't, I don't test. I do not test just to make this clear. Stopped using that in a long time ago. <clears throat> stopped rubbing on people in 2010. Stopped kind of with that focus. I don't know, in like 14 or 13. But if I was teaching how to test with this, as the trainer, okay, I would probably put a clamp on here as I once did, and then I would have the person in the rotated position. And as the trainer, I would get in, I would either load it like this, and then I would say to the person, okay, I want you to hold that there, and I would drop it, or I would actually have the manual, I would provide the manual resistance where I would stand on something like this side, and then I would actually rotate. The machine so that they had to hold on to it now just in case you're thinking but that's trunk on pelvis that's not pelvis on trunk well if you need the trunk the pelvis on trunk that's right here nice so Perfect. i got that one too right and you can see that i put seat belts on all these things um you know uh, mine's nice my seat belt scenario is not as, quite as good as johnny and michelle's but you know i did the best i could they're fancy huh so. anyway <laughs> well you know and there's this yeah they did a good job on theirs. So um, that's that. I do want to, I know we're kind of getting close here, so I want to kind of show one more thing, Yeah. which is kind of cool. Um, if I don't trip and kill myself over a pad. Oh, and that is, well, um, you can see some of the counterbalancing on, you know, that, that I know you have on yours. Yep. So I don't know whether you've seen the setup of mine, Brandon. I have actually not um, seen this set up. This is cool. Okay, so I just put the plate mates on top here. I think you do that as well. Yeah. So if I pull the – so right now, it's actually adding assistance, obviously, as you come down here. Yeah. So uh, pretty significantly. And I use the daisy chain so I can set it at different heights. It kind of works out pretty well that way. So – and in this case, I am using the couplers. They work really well as the barrier um let's see whether i can point this down enough 
Okay, let's see, and then go this way. All right, can you see? It's perfect. It's hard to do all these things. Okay, can you see how right here? Yep. So it's hard to see it, but they're they're, they're preventing the weight from going down, and this they, they take a ton of force, so they work out pretty well. And lastly, but not leastly, the thing that you asked me about, kind of, this is kind of getting towards a two, which is it's really was it became about shaping the the exercise experience so to speak by shaping the machine resistance curve and as you can see right here what i have is i've got a handheld dynamometer that uh, that you know i've basically these holes are so i can uh, i can actually attach it to the weight stack awesome we ran into some issues with the crane scale this works better I will try to make you one and, and show it to you. But basically, I found, just so you know, and this is a relative recent thing, I found these. These are for holding, you know, like huge, like photography lights, um, video lights up. Yeah. And they actually, yeah. So I don't know if they would work as well for the barrier just because they're hard plastic. And that, I mean, they'd be fine probably, but I like the softer of the other one. But you just, just so you know, and I'll send you the link to these. Yeah, I'll Anybody else sure. who wants to know, just let me know. So you can put them right on the guide rod, and then you close it and then spin it, That's and awesome. it locks down. Now, I'm having to use, because the diameter of here is pretty wide, and this is hard plastic too, I still have to use the coupler, the rubber ones, to, to put, like, a glue them on the, cut them and glue them on the inside of here so that um, it won't you know, slide. It still gets small enough. Okay. Perfect. I love it. But in any case, so this, these holes, these, that will attach, they attach to those on the guide rods. And then, so this sits right above the weight stack and the weight stack comes up and pushes in it. Oh, that's awesome. But the I other thing it. that I use, yeah. So the other thing that I use this for is this becomes my tool for pushing down on the weight stack. So I can now I have another one that actually has handles in it. This is just the one that I, I usually use this for attaching to the weight set. But I have handles in it. And so as the person is moving, right, the weight stack is going up and down. I can decide, do I want to make the eccentric? And how much do I want to make it harder? Right? So I'll be behind the weight stack pushing down. And I, I have put up some videos of me doing this before. It's been a while. Um, but... I'll get behind, you can see I have a stool here because I'm lazy, but I'll get back here and um, it's hard to see me, but I'll basically be pushing down over here. And this is where it became important and it might be important to bring up again, which is this whole notion of the five second eccentric, five or five second lifting stroke, one second hold, five second lowering stroke, one second relax. There's a couple things. I really like the lifting up of the weight. Really like that. It's something that I didn't do until I did the Lyme study a whole lot of, which was taking the load from an unloaded position after each rep. So totally letting, you know, relaxing and letting go of the load and then starting the rep again. It's just an interesting thing if you haven't done that with people. Of course, if you've done deadlifts, you have. And there's other exercises that we automatically do it with. Um, and the reason why that was important was because Tom had, a, you know, when, when he was helping design that Lyme study, he said, you're going to need to make sure that they're not holding on to a weight when they're reporting their effort. 
It's like, you know, if they're, if they're trying to project what their effort on the next rep is going to be based on the last rep, you don't want them having to generate force in their wrist flexors, for instance, because that's going to, it's going to affect their feedback, right? So they're going to, you know, their perceptual feedback is going to be now based, what they're telling you is that they're holding on to this thing. So when I started playing with that, you know, more than 10 years ago now, it, it, I started realizing, well, wait a second, here's a whole new opportunity from going from a completely relaxed position to lifting something up. So just accelerating the weight from a dead stop is kind of an interesting thing to do with people if they've never done it. Oh, absolutely. The five second, as I mentioned to you, came from the fact that for majority of machines that I went through when I went and tested this out, you know as well as I do that sometimes um, weight stacks are moving a lot further than the input arm or whatever else. And, and so when you have scenarios like that, like if something, if something has an effort cam on it, oftentimes this kind of happens or whatever, they may have really just all anybody watching this video has to do is look at the guide rods and see how long they are. And if they're super long guide rods, that weight stack is moving really far. Well, then some weight stacks, you know, they don't move very far. You look at the guide rods, they're real short. Um, and so in order to make sure that no matter what seated row, chest press, leg press, um, I came into contact with, or these people were learning this, it wasn't going to matter. Five seconds really basically took out the big influence of force relative to the acceleration. So I eat momentum, right? Like it took out the momentum stuff that would happen if you had large distances that, that, you know, so five seconds, really good about doing that. So when you put it in and you measure with the dynamometer and you do it dynamically, you can see there's not a huge amount of the change in direction that you have to worry about. That being said, the five second thing works really well for controlling the, um, the, when you're manipulating the machine resistance curve with the dynamometer and you can do this with your hands, you don't need a dynamometer. And what I will tell you this, and this is the, 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 within the next two minutes, here's what I will say about manual muscle testing. And here's what I'll say about the inception of machines. There was a guy named Gustav Zander who was working with this Swedish method, okay, back in the day. And we're talking about the 1860s. And back then they had these things called duplicated movements in the Swedish method. And the duplicated movements was, for instance, if I'm the, the client or the participant and I'm doing a side lateral raise, the trainer would come and they would resist me with just enough force that I wouldn't, it wouldn't stop my motion. So they were manipulating the resistance so that it was just under what I could do. In other words, just under my max, basically, right? And so they would be pushing, and this is what their whole exercise thing was when they did duplicated movements. Well, Xander was like, it's too tiring. I can't do this all day long with people. I'm, I'm fighting people. He started creating the first selectorized machines, or back then they weren't selectorized, but, but plate-loaded machines, um, weight-loaded machines, that had a manipulation of the resistance profile and a resistance curve. And that is... And it was because he was trying to make it so that it would match the people just like he could do with his hands. And that's where that comes from. If we go back and we start looking at, you know, a, a lot of the different stuff with manual muscle, and that'll get into a manual muscle testing conversation because there's a carryover between the guys that were at Harvard, love it, and um, some of the other people that were spinning off of, um, you know, 
somebody that I mentioned before, but, you know, we talked about the father of physical education and all this stuff and the stuff that he was doing with his pulley system. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of carryover in between those two and we can get into that another time, but I figured hopefully, uh, Hopefully that gives some idea of where this stuff goes. I, I'm going to tell everybody out there, please, if anybody's listening to this, look up the history of a lot of this stuff. Because what you'll see is that, like I said, I mentioned Gary Gray last time. He said there's no idea new under the sun. And I know that there are certainly new ideas. But generally speaking, a lot of people are just taking an already original concept and manipulating it a little bit. Then there's some people that outright just steal stuff. There's that too, but a lot of stuff is already in our history, personal training, you know, strength coaches go way back, obviously, but some of the stuff in terms of machines and what we talked about, if you look at the history, you'll realize that machines were created as an answer to the problems that people were encountering when they were training with Indian clubs and free weights and kettlebells and, you know, whatever body weight exercises this was supposed to be the answer to that and somehow it's like we've taken a, a century leap backwards in our understanding of of exercise because we got to the point where now i mean i i use four pieces of 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 equipment i'm not going to say the brand name now for this study that i'm uh the intervention that i'm running right now and the equipment's not so great right this is brand new equipment so we've now gotten to the point where the selectorized equipment has lost that. I mean, I think I hate to say it, but I think we passed the golden age, which was probably the, the 90s and the early 2000s of really interesting, you know, equipment. I hope we can get back there a little bit because it gives a lot of people who can't exercise the ability to participate and those that can all sorts of fun stuff to do. And I, on that last note, I mean, that gives people like you and I and the Michelles and the Johnnies the opportunity to find those older machines where people don't really understand the value of them, get them for a few hundred bucks, bring them into your facility and really play with them and have a lot of fun. Honestly, Prime Fitness is the only company that purchased all the Strive patents and are using the old patents and they have new designs. The old design stuff they're repurposed is the best stuff they've got. And it's the only company I've seen that's doing anything that's remotely unique and thinking ahead but even then it's not the same as it was with the generations of equipment you're talking about yeah and i've got a strive plate loaded over there which i had to put a big counterbalance on it because barely anybody can use it with no weight on it so it doesn't really matter which uh which peg you put it on if nobody can lift it with no weight on it. So, I mean, you know, great. You got this. Hey, it's harder at the beginning, easier at the end, which of course back then they used to say ridiculous stuff like it targets the middle of the biceps and you know. <laughs> but, you know, if you can't lift the thing, who cares how it how how you can choose or select where it's hard and where it's easy? For sure. So, anyway, but that's another machine for another day or another time or whatever. Yeah. Well, man, this was in extremely informative and I really urge if anyone's listening to this on Spotify, please go to the fitness pro mentors group and watch the video because Charlie walks through his entire basement and openly, I guarantee you have not seen anybody with a gym or equipment like Charlie. Cause honestly you've taken everything and you've really, I wanted to say, make it your own. And you kind of have in the creative sense, but in reality you really created it. So that way it fits all your people, which is just absolutely Brilliant. And I wish more people would go through that exploration of the trial and error of figuring out what works, what doesn't work, what do you need for clients, what do you not need? And 
I love it, man. Actually, to be honest, I've seen your basement before when we were chatting on calls, but this is the most I've seen in your basement. And it's, uh, it's cool, man. It's amazing stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot more that I'm not, you know, I got a nice little leg press over there with a wonderful four bar linkage on it, but it sucks in terms of the resistance, the machine resistance curve. So I had to do some manipulation there. I mean, everything is just trying to answer the, the, the question that's posed. And, um, and in a way, in most cases, that's when I say temporary, it's, it's, I can remove it immediately if I need to, or change it so that I like to shift things around. I don't believe that there is such thing as the perfect rep, this notion. And I know Arthur was chasing it for a long time of trying to get that perfect match or, or whatever, but, you know, I deal with too many people that are so different that, that you know you 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 know you know how it goes you know you work with somebody that it's like you're expecting this thing to be um you know really hard in the shortened position and you know because that's where they seem to you would think oh well i'm not generating quite as much you know tension there as there and it's like it's that that person is completely the opposite and you're like okay because the human torque curves that were measured or whatever they're normative curves right this is a whole group of people and then what we did was you know we we looked for the mean and standard deviation, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, okay, but what if you have an outlier or what if you have somebody that, you know, yeah. Love it, man. Well, I think this will be a good point to put a pin in today. And honestly, you have so much more stuff. I want to do more basement stuff with you, but like we spoke about, I mean, if anybody is following this group, you'll know that I talk about this PAP course that I put together. And honestly, the whole thing of that was to educate people more about some interesting phenomenon happen within the body that could be a byproduct of things like manual muscle testing and stretching. And Charlie spoke earlier about referencing and doing your research and asking questions and learning more. Charlie, you and many other people, peers of yours, even that Kevin Dunn who doesn't answer any fricking phone calls, have done a bunch of research on manual muscle testing. And so Charlie and I, we're going to connect again and we're going to do a little bit of talking about manual muscle testing. And uh, I shouldn't say talk. I'm going to learn a little bit more from you and I'm excited to, to dive into that. So We'll plan that real soon. And anybody that's listening to this that has asked for the PEC scale or whatever, I am getting to it. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm running an intervention right now and also doing my dissertation, which is was probably the dumbest thing I could have done to myself. So I haven't forgotten about you um, and, and more to come. And I apologize. Please, please, my sincerest apologies that for not it's nothing else besides just running around like a chicken with my head cut off. You're doing so many things for the greater good, man. So everyone understands and we're excited. So <laughs> I, I hope that's how it's looked, but who knows? So, all right, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, well, let's talk real soon, man. Well, I'm excited for that manual muscle testing chat. All right. That's that, that'll be good. I'll, I'll, I'll brush up. It's been a while since I really, uh, sorry, dove, dove into all the stuff I wrote about that. So, all right, man. Cool. Well, everybody, have a great one. Please, again, if you're listening to this, go to the Facebook group and watch the live video. You won't want to miss it. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon.